1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 246 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Wednesday, game one of the Wild Card Series, just finished a few minutes ago, and I am joined by Eric Cole to celebrate a win. Eric, it's a rare, a rare victory in a playoff game.
2: That game nearly drove me to a drink at multiple points, and if the Braves make a real list, a real run, this playoff season, we're going to look back at this one as kind of like one of those all-timer games because uh, there's a lot to unpack. But it was that was a wild one, and you know, I'm I am certainly glad the Braves won it. I'm not sure that they deserve to, but <laughs> I'm happy. I, I am happy about it.
1: We will definitely unpack it all. Uh, we'll go sort of blow by blow as we have if you that listened to us in the past. Welcome to the podcast, and we usually go a lot deeper. For these playoff games. That's the that's the plan here today. Uh broadly speaking, I agree with you. Uh obviously by the way, this is the first time the Braves have won a game one in a very long time. They lost nine consecutive game ones in playoff series, plus the wildcard games, so really ten almost in in, in a row before today. Also, this is the first time in Major League Baseball playoff history that a game went scoreless into the 13th inning. And by the way, that was still that was actually true in the, in the 12th. So that's kind of crazy in itself. Also, the most combined strikeouts between two teams in a playoff game. All kinds of history being made. And the Braves dodged so many bullets. We'll talk about this now. But, I mean, you mentioned it. Do you feel like the Braves snuck out with one here because it kind of feels that way to me not in a bad way the Braves are probably due for one of these going their way but given all the threats that the Reds had along the way the wall we'll go through all of them but you know they the Reds had a lot more hits I think it was 11 to 6 by the end of this game it felt like the Braves dodged bullets and part of that's to their credit with the pitching staff doing a fantastic job but part of that is just kind of the luck of baseball
2: yeah, I mean, look, there was a lot of futility on the offense and the the, th- the things that bother me wouldn't the Braves don't cash in chances and not like escaping because I think that like you know like like Max Fried started the game like really rough and like somehow put put together a really strong outing altogether – you know, multiple like bases loaded and two guys on type escapes from like bullpen arms. You know, we're all like, this is it. This is when we finally get put out of our misery. And like they kept getting away. The thing that one of the things that really bothered me the most was like Acuna hitting the double, getting over the third one out, and he doesn't score. We this game doesn't. This game ends after nine innings if that happens. Um, you know, like you know we 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 see like base runners getting the second and not getting moved and like not not getting in. And, you know, the Braves didn't have a ton of those because Trevor Bauer was insane in this game. Iglesias was really good, too. So I get some of it, but a lot of times it's just kind of like if they had just put the ball in the air, that's the stuff that frustrates me more. Um, now, in terms of, like, loading the bases and still getting out of it, like, multiple times, hard for me to understand <laughs> how, how it happened. But, you know, that this felt a lot like guys, you know, kind of got themselves in some trouble but then made big pitches and, you know, the hats off to the pitching staff because they, they pitched their brains out today.
1: Yeah. Obviously, you know, 13 innings, they did allow 11 hits, combined but uh only three walks so 14 base runners and in 13 innings, that's that's more than enough 16 strikeouts they did a great job starting with freed and going all the way through uh, obviously no runs but matic and Mant- Mant- we'll get it, we'll get into some of the, of the houdini acts momentarily uh the offense let's get let's get that out of, way, out of the way right now the offense was bad in this game you mentioned the you know the the guy at third and one out situations which to their credit freddie did capitalize on one finally at the very end to win the game but prior to that you know it's I think the clutch stuff's been overvalued and overstated this year about how the Braves have struggled in the clutch. That's not really the case. But the one situation where they actually have been bad this year at the plate is with a runner on third and one out. They were the league worst in conversion rate on that situation this year. And I plagued them today. Uh, It didn't bite them, ultimately, because they ended up converting one, finally, at the very end. But, yeah, it was a a high-wire act throughout. Let's just say that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, no,
2: I, I was about to say it was just it was it was certainly frustrating, but I also, I mean, like I thought that Trevor, like they were going to be able to like run up the Trevor Bauer's pitching pitch count and get him out early. He was, he was great. amazing today, yeah, he and, was great. and like Iglesias, like there, like some credit has to be given to the Reds here. And I mean, like we knew that their pitching staff was going to be good, but like Bauer was like on a different level today. Like Jacob Degrom, like level performance type stuff. And when a guy's on like that, you know, so to, to win a game. When that happens, th- that's all you can ask for. And, I mean, the strikeout certainly added up. But, you know, again, our pitching staff, kind of they did their thing, too.
1: Yeah, we'll go through all the innings now. One last thing I want to say to your point about Bauer and Iglesias. There's a reason why I know you and I and Scott and a lot of smart people around the Braves did not want to see the Reds. And this is the reason. Uh, obviously, this is a little bit overstated from this. This outing was probably better than we, even, we, even we thought. But combined, Bauer and Iglesias, nine innings, two hits, one walk, 16 strikeouts. Like, that's unbelievable. And if you're a Reds fan today, we, we know how you feel. Obviously, if you're a Reds fan listening to this or yes. watching all that, we know how yes. we, we know how that feels. But those guys were unbelievable, <laughs> uh, from, and they lost anyway. Seen a World Series happen to us in a World Series game at that. Uh, old Jack Morris. Yeah, I mean, but, even, uh, and even, of... even even like old friend Lucas Sims, Michael Lorenzen. Yeah, like yep. they were really good, and uh, ultimately didn't matter. So okay, let's just dive in now. We'll go. We'll start going through what all happened in this game. And you mentioned it earlier, but the first inning was an escape. The Reds get two singles in the first three pitches off Max Freed, but then he manages to wiggle out. By the way, Freed... Somehow faced five batters in the first inning and threw nine pitches. The Reds and the Braves, to their, to be fair, were extremely aggressive. I will say that the Braves had some good fortune in that first inning to come out of it. Um, but on the flip side, in the bottom of the inning, Castellanos in right field, who's a pretty bad defender, made a really nice running catch to Rob Freddie, so that kind of evened out a little bit. But the theme of the early portion was actually kind of, why is everyone swinging so much against these two great pitchers? And I guess it kind of worked for the Reds, but there you go. Yeah, I mean they
2: must have had something in the scouting report that they feel like they could do something early in the count against Freed. Obviously, that didn't work out for him. Uh, they, they, it almost worked out for him in that first inning, but after that, I think that they kind of started getting a little gun shy and Freed figured out what they, he can do in that situation. And you know, again, you know, it ended up being a pretty efficient first inning, all things considered. So, it, definitely a, a weird first, but you know, one that ended up working out pretty well for both teams, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll fast forward through a couple of these innings where nothing really happened. Obviously, this is a zero-zero game for a long time, so. You know we can litigate all of it. Uh, Freed settled in. Obviously, uh, the Braves did, did get a guy on base in the second inning when Albie's reached on what was. By the way, that was called a hit originally, which was insane. That was not a hit. That was an error by Joey Votto. They, I, I think they corrected it eventually. Um, but Ozzy still second, and they have a guy at first uh, guy on right and scoring position with one out, and their first threat. But then uh, Adam Duvall, who had a rough day, and Danby Swanson both strike out. Uh, it's a good time to remind everyone that uh, everyone, I believe, yeah, everyone, in the lineup struck out in this game. And everyone except for Ozzy and Freddie struck out multiple times in this game, so it wasn't just. I, I think there was some, there was some worse bats than others. Like Duvall had four strikeouts, he had some bad ones. Dansby had three strikeouts, um, but I want to say that now as we referenced a couple of those, uh, Ozuna as well looked pretty bad today, but uh, they did blow their first opportunity with a guy on, with a guy in, in scoring position in that second inning.
2: There was also a very generous strike zone from the umpire, like you know, uh, throughout again, the
1: day.
2: Not uh, quite not not quite level, but uh, I, I invoked that at one point, and uh, it was it was ugly, man. It, it definitely didn't. It definitely felt like it was trending in that direction. It kind of got a little better. Uh, a couple a couple strike calls actually, uh, ball strike calls actually went the Braves' way, and like the like in the extras. But bring on my robot overlords! I'm, I am done letting humans try to make the strike zone because they cannot figure it out. They're getting worse. But anyway, you know, like again, that's me just kind of harping on something I have for a few years now. And uh, the, the, the short answer is the umpire was not the home play umpire was not very good. But it, you know, at least it was kind of not very good for both sides. And you know, again, there was a lot of strikeouts in this game. Don't necessarily kind of look at a guy's line like Duval or, or, in o case Ozuna's case, he got call, uh, called strike three. That was truly terrible. Yeah. Um. And so you know, it's. It's kind of one of those things where people are gonna like, "Wow, look at all these strikeouts! Strikeouts! This Braves offense just strikes out too much." And I'm like, this team's actually not, you know, that they, they they walk a ton. They're a really patient team. They kind of just got bit by an umpiring crew that seemed like they had places to be today. Uh, and instead, just, you know, created the, one of the longest games that we're going to see in playoff history. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, a, a weird game. But, you know, I don't necessarily put all of that on just, you know, the offense being bad. You know, they definitely the, you know, Bauer and Iglesias and company certainly got some help from the ump today.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Ozuna one. That was probably the one that everyone circled and and, and rightly so as the worst um, missed call of the day. And that was in the fourth inning. Um, Freddie gets hit by a pitch. With two strikes, which is fortunate, um, but the, Ozuna strikes out on a two-two uh, pitch, and it was a genuinely awful call that everyone noticed, even the national neutral folks. Um, then you have a pop out from Darno, a infield infl- single by Ozzy to have two guys on him again, and then Duval strikes out. I will say the Duval. K was on a shaky call also. It's probably a ball. It was not as bad as Ozuna, so I wasn't like outraged by that particular one, but that was an inning in the fourth that I had circled and that a lot of people had circled as a potential swing point because it felt like the Braves could have done some damage there and obviously that they didn't do it.
2: Yeah, and again, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for them to kind of put string stuff together. You know, you get something going a couple innings later that, you know, ends up being truly rough. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you just didn't have that many opportunities and not cashing in when you could, you know, didn't feel great.
1: Yeah. Um, the fifth inning was very boring. A one, two, three inning in a good way for max free with three strikeouts. And then, uh, the bottom half was pretty, pretty hideous offensively. Um, the sixth inning was, uh, was pretty busy. So we'll talk about this now. Um, there was some trouble for freed for the first time in a while, Um, Adam Duvall with a fantastic throw and a great tag by Austin Riley at third base to get Castellanos trying to go first to third. That was a huge out, um, and that kind of saved what could have been a disaster. I I mean, obviously, we saw the Braves get out of situations like that later on in the game, but you can't bat 1,000 in those situations, and getting getting sort of a free out there was huge.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Duvall has an arm, and, you know, like that— the outfield defense felt really, you know, feels really good in some situations with this team. Uh, in others, not so much. But you know, like in Duval's case, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, seeing seeing him be able to make that like a strong throw. Riley looked had, did some good things at third base kind of all day, which I felt pretty good about considering the issues with his quad. But he was moving around pretty well over there. Uh, didn't seem. I don't think he's obviously he's not. I don't think he's completely healthy. Uh, but you know, he's you know, it seems like he's uh, definitely going to be a uh, guy that the Braves can count on going forward uh In at third base defensively, he's not kind of one of those third base guys. That's just all power He actually can move around pretty well over there and is you know Does does the little things like you know quick tags, you know aware, Awareness of what he, of how quickly he needs to you know get that ball down and on the guy things like that So it, again just a really good play uh and kind of set the Braves up for an opportunity later on in the inning
1: It was a very good defensive game for Austin Riley So just overall shouts to him for that. He played very well in the field today. Um but the bottom half of the sixth was probably the spot where we were all the most frustrated with the offense Um, in terms of the uh, situation where they probably should have scored. Uh, Ron Acuna leads off the inning with a double that had 111 mile an hour exit velocity. It was the hardest hit ball off Trevor Bauer the entire season. So an absolute rope from Ronnie, not as not a surprise there. He's obviously very good at baseball. Um, Freddie hits a hard hit grounder to the second baseman to advance Acuna. Not exactly what you want from your MVP, but still a productive out to be sure setting the stage for that infamous situation with a guy in third and one out. And Ozuna pops up, and it was a pretty bad plate appearance. We've obviously been extremely pro Ozuna on this podcast since well before the season started. He was incredible this year. He was bad today. That was a bad plate appearance. And um, after that, Travis Darnot takes two pitches down the middle, essentially, and then swings through a fastball. That was one of those innings that I had circled and written in red on the document, like, I hope this doesn't bite us, but it's a situation where it felt like it could be big. Obviously, it wasn't ultimately, but that was one that was uh, pretty maddening.
2: Well, I mean, all, if they if they had been able to, like, convert in that situation where, you know, you have two really bad plate appearances, uh, I mean, I'm sure that Alex Rodriguez was happy that, you know, Freeman got the runner over to third, considering all he could talk about all game was sacrificing to get the runner over. That, that It was truly cringeworthy, this, the broadcast. Can we, can
1: we talk about this now? Let's let's, let's spend some time. Yes, because, it was terrible. Yeah. It was truly terrible. I, I will say uh, this. I didn't hear all of it because I was at work and I was going in and out. The, the bunt stuff got the headlines and it should have because A-Rod... For three, four straight innings, I felt like talked about bunting every time there was a man on base. Like at one point, he wanted Ozzy to bunt. Like Ozzy's an all star. You don't, you don't have Ozzy Albie's bunt. And I, I sort of understood it a little bit more with Dansby. We'll get to that in a second. But um, bunting in general is bad, especially with non pitchers and with the DH and all this. Like bunting is not a good thing. And regardless, even, even if you agree with Alex Rodriguez, which I'm sure some of our listeners do, that's fine. But He hijacked the whole broadcast for like three innings to talk about bunting. And it's like, guys, this is a playoff game. It's 0-0. Like, what are we we doing? I I, I know it's a topic, but the idea of Alex Rodriguez, who did not lay down a
2: sacrifice bunt in like the last decade of his career blows my mind Consider like there's so many there's a lot of things analytically about like you know giving up a free out just to move a runner over is almost always bad and white it leads to it make it less likely to, for there to be a run now do you want runners to move around yes but putting the ball in play with a higher chance of there actually something good happening is almost always almost always again we have you know double plays to kind of consider here but you're giving you're guaranteeing an out in order to get a runner to second and that's almost never going to work out well for you and now when when you have pitchers They're almost a guaranteed out anyway. If you have Ender Inciarte, almost a guaranteed out anyway. These are things that I would understand more. But when you have Ozzy Albie's and Dansby Swanson, who have had really good, really good seasons in one of the best offenses in the league, and you have a a former MVP who like never would lay down a sacrifice bunt, even if like someone put a gun to his head when he was a playing career, and would say you need to move a runner over here is ridiculous it's just ridiculous it's wrong and it felt made the broadcast feel unwatchable and for a game that was already really hard, like kind of hard to watch because there was just no offense <laughs> happening and things like that like you, you you can think of other things to talk about and to like instead of just be like for for three straight innings talk about moving the runner over via a bunt when it's won the wrong decision and two a stupid thing to talk about for an hour
1: no this is not the awful announcing podcast and shouts to joe lucia front of the program um this is not that, but I will say this. I watch a lot of baseball uh, beyond the Braves that this, that crew is very bad overall. So I was not surprised to be frustrated with him at the same time. It was really, really bad. Um, so we can leave that there for now, but it was, it became a topic and rightly so about just how many crazy things were being said. Um, and that was the number one thing was the bunts, but there were other things we could tackle, but Yeah. I, we all we all hear you Braves fans I understand it would be better um i, I you know I, I don't listen to the broadcast a whole lot honestly um but because of where I was trying to navigate work today um and not being able to like watch as intently as i do as you as I usually do I was kind of relied on the sound and that made it even worse it was brutal um okay we'll leave it there for now we, we could probably do 20 minutes on this um in fact let's take a, let's take a break eric after six innings it was zero zero we'll come back with with the seventh through the thirteenth and uh reactions to the roster
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, Eric, let's dive back in. It's the seventh inning as we speak now. Um, Max Fried gets through seven. Uh, I was surprised, not outraged, but surprised that no one was warming up the bullpen. At all in the seventh inning because it's the playoffs and normally in the seventh inning you're doing that. I know Freed's pitch count was pretty low, but he he gave up um, a flare to right field on a uh, I think it was to right field, yeah, on a sub 70 mile an hour hit. Not like it was like a bad pitch. Then he then he hit a guy. It's like oh Max Freed might be slowing down a little bit here and there's no one in the bullpen. And granted they got Oday up pretty quickly, but uh, it was good to it was good to see Max get through seven. We'll pause there, and I want to ask you this. Were you okay with pulling him? Because that was a topic of conversation that was on Twitter that was happening, which is, you know, it's it's appropriate to have it. My thoughts that I shared were I was totally fine with it. If they had gone back to free, I also would have got it because he only had 78 pitches. But he got through the order three times. It was the fourth time through as he was about to come back in, potentially to start the eighth. And by the way, even more importantly, he had not been pitching a huge workload leading up to this game, which is one of the reasons I was okay with it. I'm I'm generally okay with pulling a starter Quicker um, than everybody else might want to, in the playoff situation and coming into the game. If, if you told me you're going to get seven out of back, uh, seven scoreless innings out of Max Free, you just take that. And I think I know his pitch count was pretty low, but I was on board with taking him out.
2: Yeah, hundred th- percent. I think it was actually the correct decision. Um, I wouldn't have been outraged if they sent him out for the eighth. Me either. But yep. I mean, you, you know, but at the same time, I think it was the right choice. They he had gotten three times through the order. He's a guy who has not has not pitched very much at all over the last two and a half weeks or so coming off some like kind of nagging injury stuff you know you, you got everything and more than you wanted out of him you know yeah take him out it was it, I, I was again perfectly fine with it there was like a little bit of wildness in that inning do you really want to keep taking keep taking chances how, how much do you really need to preserve your bullpen given it's the, a, a three game playoff series? if you get seven innings of shutout ball from your, from your starter and you get 78 pitches out of, and you, and you get 70 only on 78 pitches, that makes you feel better about his next out. because you don't feel like he, you know, wore himself out. And there's like, there's a lot of good reasons to go th- to do it as well. And again, the, the numbers on a, seeing a guy for the fourth time in a game, they're ugly. You know, that's why generally the max is usually getting three times through the order. I mean, yes, would have been cool if, if, you know, if max had thrown a complete game. Yes. But, we also saw what happened in this game where Max could have gone nine, and theoretically, based the pace he was on, that was something that was possibly going to happen. And then you just made him throw over 100 pitches for no reason because you still had to wait through the 13th for the game to end anyway. So how did it work out? You end up using another couple of relievers, but again, in a short playoff series, where you have a couple of days off after that, that doesn't matter as much uh, in terms of availability. I mean, these guys, I mean, they're going to run these guys out there if they need to back-to-back or even some guys might even you don't necessarily want to do this but you know maybe even have them out there for a third time if you really really need to so you know th- that this is playoff baseball you got seven innings out of your starter it's perfectly fine i would I, didn't, I probably would have made the decision nine times out of ten
1: yep Um uh, we're on the same page there the other thing we have to talk about in the seventh inning was the crazy uh double rundown play that saved the run uh yeah hard, <laughs> first and third two first and third two outs um Austin Riley kind of took a little bit of time on a previous potential double play ball that I didn't love. That was the one hiccup that he had in the field. It wasn't too bad, but I thought he probably could have made the play. Uh, moments later, he sort of made up for it by, um, essentially, if you didn't see this play, I'm sure you can find it, but it, there was a, a rundown between first and second and a rundown at the same time between third and home. Um, ultimately, it resulted in Austin Riley doing a flying lunge with the ball in his hands to <laughs> to uh, to make the tag. And then he had to land and not fumble the ball, which was the scary part for me, is that I would have been extremely brave on brand if he had, uh, fall, had the ball had fallen out of his glove as he hit the ground. But it ended up working. The The Reds did some stupid stuff in this game. That was a really, really bad base running decision or base running everything, basically, from the Reds in that spot. But I had to, I had to laugh when it was all over. But that was a pretty tense moment. Uh, definitely a tense moment.
2: Uh, definitely felt like some Benny Hill music was playing in the background, too, uh, in terms of how that plant was was playing out. Um, I think the Marlins actually had a play happen like that earlier, except it was kind of like the opposite, where like you know, like they couldn't like they they'd get a guy and run down and like and make a throwing error, and then they made another one, which ended up letting the Cubs kind of run around the bases a little bit. But um, the thing I was concerned the most about, honestly, I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't a given that Austin Riley was going to be able to chase the guy down before he got the home, which again that created that was the real drama of that play. But I mean, Austin has been hurt. And having to, like, make that play and, like, dive and do all that, I was a little worried he's going to get dinged up even more than he already has been and, and have that grab because I'm not particularly interested in seeing Pablo Sandoval getting starts at third base for the Braves. Uh, I mean, if you have to, you have to. Uh, you know, same thing with, like, Camargo or, God forbid, Charlie Culberson. So I I honestly think that it's, you know, it was a little bit risky to do, but it made me feel good that he got back up and he ended up actually delivering later in the game. Seemed like he was still moving around well after that. So it seems like, you know, whatever injury he's dealing with, he didn't certainly didn't make anything worse, at least during the game. Um, we'll see if he, anything tightens up, but that was kind of the biggest thing I was worried about. is was just like, kind of have him having to all of a sudden sprint to like, you know, chase a guy down and almost tackle him before he got the home plate.
1: <laughs> it was quite a, uh, Quite a sequence. If you missed that, I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. It was uh, very entertaining. Now, in retrospect, um, okay. In the eighth inning, it was pretty pretty smooth sailing. Chris Martin comes in, does his job. Nice play by Riley to get the third out in that inning. And then offensively, still pretty quiet. That was still the Bauer Iglesias combo, just mowing everyone down. Um, the ninth inning, same sort of thing. Mark Melanson, one, two, three in a hurry. Shouts to him. Uh, he's, been, yep. he's he's been having yep. some bad BABIP issues this year. He did not have that uh, that problem today. That was good to see. Um, the bottom of the ninth was Freddie leading off um, with a walk. That was the first walk of the day for either team. It was at the bottom of the ninth. Um, that's pretty noteworthy. Um, but then, of course, three strikeouts in a row against Ecclesius uh, to have sixteen through nine. Yeah, uh, we'll move on from there. In the tenth, we'll stop. I want to ask you. They brought in. They brought in Will Smith. I, that. For me, that was not surprising in any way, shape, or form. They've invested heavily in Will Smith. I know he wasn't incredible this year, but there were enough signs, and he is the highest-paid reliever, and uh, the guy they've invested in, I-, I was not surprised by that at all. Pe- people seem to be mad about this in the moment, which I made note of. Did that surprise you and or bother you that they went to Will Smith? Because I thought it was kind of a natural decision. Like Maybe they could have they they gone to Shane Green or whatever, but you know, it didn't surprise me at all, that's for sure. So...
2: I don't. I wasn't. I didn't feel strongly about it. If that makes any sense, because I would have gone to like AJ Minter. That's what
1: I. Would that was the other guy. That, but it was yeah, much yeah, fun.
2: yeah. That, that AJ Minter was probably where I would have gone. Uh, I, I still have trouble. Uh, Shane Green like makes me nervous still a little bit. And the idea of going to Tyler Matzick in a high leverage situation is not something that I'm used to yet. Even though it seems to kind of work out when he does. But so like if you're gonna, you have the two options in, in my mind: that Smith or Minter. I would have gone to Minter. Um, but Smith has looked better at some point. You're going to have to use him. Uh, and this, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of lower leverage situations in this game period. Um, Will Smith has been a very good reliever for a long time before this year. And honestly, the, the, the worst of him has been, you know, kind of earlier when he was first coming back from being sick and being out all that time. So I get it. I wasn't super comfortable with it. But it was. I understand that it was a hard decision. I was almost a, more freaked out that they left him in to face a fourth batter. I know that it was only Ta- Tucker Barnhart, um, and you know, and, and he dismissed him like on four pitches. Oh, in the, by the, way. In, in, so, the in the eleventh, you mean? Like yeah, after, 11, after, yeah. after he got the first yeah, appearance. yeah, leave, yeah. Leave, 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 leaving him in the the fourth guy. i i felt a little bit, a little bit worse about. But I mean. He looked really good. I think that game. was just lefty like, versus really, lefty,
1: honestly. If if it hadn't been Barber yeah. coming up, they oh, would have yeah, I mean, taken him out, I'm sure. But yeah, I'm, it was a little bit uncomfortable. But that's you know they clearly think we didn't it, love. It just kind of sets. It set up some weird situations because you after
2: if you're leaving him in there, then you're pretty much guaranteeing that the righty that you're gonna be bringing in is gonna have to face Joey Votto. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not not guaranteeing, but it makes it a lot more likely. And like, there's some strategic stuff that I wasn't as sure about. But again, Smith. The four batters he faced, he looked really, really good. So I, it's kind of one of those. If you feel like he's looked really good, he's this is kind of what you brought him in for. You know what I mean? Like he he was brought in for this role, and you know, would I like to be maybe a little bit more results oriented and bring in AJ Minter because I think he's been better than <laughs> better than better than Smith this year? He has, yeah. Been. But I yeah, but I also understand why it happened, and, and Smith hasn't been bad enough. To make me go, you know, if if Luke Jackson had been running in this spot,
1: I would have lost my mind. Well, of course,
2: but I mean, but, but, you, but you understand what I'm saying, like that 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 yes. level of guy. No, but, I, but, 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 I'm with yeah. you. But I, think that,
1: I, I think that I think that the usage later on of the bullpen would tell you that it it probably wasn't going to be Mentor if it wasn't Smith, because they they didn't go to Mentor for a long while. After no, that. no, they didn't. Um, so that's noteworthy too. But yeah, I'm I th- I was fine. If they hadn't gone to Smith, I also would little would have been fine. But people were like outraged. and I, I, I couldn't really figure out why that was. Um, we'll, leave, we'll leave that now. The bottom of the tenth, the Braves could have scored again. Uh, Duvall gets a very uh, get, gets a walk despite a very favorable strike call uh, for strike two that I, that I made note of. There were some Eric Gregg references. Um, we talked about the bunting already. Uh, Dansby doesn't bunt, nor should he have. Um, ultimately, they got a guy on second base for Austin Riley, and honestly, it's pretty unbelievable to me that they needed to hit him there but at the same time i'm not sure they have a better option this is this is a team that does not really have a left-handed pinch hitting option that is terribly impressive so i'm okay with him hitting against a right-hander there but it's kind of ironic especially for a team carrying 15 position players which we'll get into in a second that their guy hitting ninth who looked bad all day at the plate um had to hit against a righty in that spot with a guy in turn position. But the only, the only guy that they could have maybe hit Riley for there is Pablo Sandoval. But I have a hard time thinking out loud that we know Pablo Sandoval is a superior option there. I know he's left-handed, um, but that's about the only advantage you have there. It's just, what did you make of that? Because that's something I circled as like one of the only times they could have pinch hit in this game. I was okay with him not doing it, even if that's kind of frustrating.
2: Well, I think that, you know, in Sandoval's case, I'm, um... I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure if he's if he's better. Uh, and Raleigh certainly didn't look good in that at bat. No, um, it was bad. It was you know, bad. <laughs> and, and, and keep, now, now keep him in the game ended up working out. But if you're going to have Pablo Sandoval, Johan Camargo, and Charlie Culberson on your roster, and you have a guy who's clearly scuffling, and you know, mean Culberson, you don't bring in that situation. But you have a guy that's a switch hitter like Camargo, or you have a lefty like Sandoval, both of whom can play third. That tells you what you need to know, particularly about how you feel about them defensively. In a lot of
1: ways. Well, and also <laughs> like it, it just it just speaks to the fact that you don't probably need to have all of them if you're not going to hit for yes. Riley there. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, what what are they doing on the roster if this is the situation where you're not going to try to bring him in and well, have, right, and, you have you, know, you have Riley against
1: a right-hander in a high-leverage spot with two outs. Like I know he's been a little bit banged up, so you would want some depth there ultimately if he gets hurt or something like that, but That is a flashing light of a spot. And it's just, it speaks to me that I thought you just leave him in there, which is kind of crazy. Maybe you think about going to Sandoval. I wouldn't hit Camargo for Riley under any circumstances right now. Like, no, we don't know. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't know anything
2: about him right now. Unless he was like, you know, hitting the cover off the ball at Gwinnett. I was, I think we're both genuinely shocked that both Camargo and Culperson made this roster. Yeah. we'll,
1: We'll, we'll get into that. Um, I'm I'm trying to save that for the end so people can log off if they want to but, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just Fold, folded in yeah. yeah it's just a little bit strange I didn't have a problem with it but I wanted to at least mention that they could have hit for him there but there somehow is not a, a very obvious guy to go to there I guess I guess the right-hander okay uh, we mentioned the 11th uh, Smith staying in they go to O'Day after Smith gets the first out O'Day um, interestingly um, <laughs> had some trouble he gave up a two out double to Castellanos But you had to leave him in there because of the three batter minimum rule, which you referenced earlier. So instead of having him face Votto, which is a bad situation, they intentionally walk Votto, which is probably the right move given that O'Day has to stay in the game. But now you have two guys on. You're facing Suarez. He got squeezed on a call, I thought, um, against Suarez that Bauer got all day long. He walks him there, and suddenly you're in a world of hurt with three guys on base. They go go to Matzik. Who they chose over Minter, which I, I'm sure you didn't love based on what you said earlier.
2: Um, well,
1: well, I mean, I'm, I am look, Matzick's been very good. He here. has been good.
2: So like, yes. I, I I am I am just not there mentally with Matzik, high ed, high leverage reliever. But I'm not sure if that is borne out by the actual results because honestly, I think he's been really good. No, and, it, you know, it, it, it works, at some obviously. point, maybe you're talking <laughs> for, maybe, look, maybe in Snicker's mind, he's like, well, I need I need I need Minter to come on and get the save tomorrow. You know, like some sort of preservation stuff like that, which tilts me to no end. I, I don't, but you know, I could see a thought process that I wouldn't agree with, but one that may have happened too. So yeah, look, look, Max, has been good. Like I, I wasn't I,
1: bothered by, it. honestly, just, I, I wasn't bothered. Yeah. I, I just knew it was going to be a talking point. So I made sure to note that they went to Matic over Minter. but frankly, it didn't, it didn't bother me. I think Matic has been quite good. How much you trust that is up for debate. Certainly. But he obviously pitched well. We're not, I mean, Everything's results based to some degree. We, we we talk about process a lot on this podcast. I was okay with the process. You could certainly argue for Minter over Matsik. I might even do that, there, but it was yeah, there fine were de- with me. There were
2: tr- yeah, there were truly debatable moves. Like it could like there were pluses and minuses to a lot of these moves. Yeah, I'm not like you're. Not, I'm actually not like nothing is like made me irate in this game. A lot of things I'm like, oh, we're doing that. Okay. Oh no, I mean, and this then, is like, something we should as, say. Yeah.
1: Let's just say this now. I, I thought, and I, I tweeted this. I think Snicker did a good job today. Not it wasn't necessarily. like perfect to the way that i would have done every single thing but there was nothing egregious i thought the entire game from him um and that's that's noteworthy in a positive way like we're not huge on his tactical stuff all the time but i want to make sure that we talk about when it's good i think he had a good game that's just i wanted to say that out loud like i think snicker did a very good job today
2: yeah i thought i thought he did a good job Uh, and it is very hard to navigate Four extra innings of postseason baseball. <laughs> yeah, zero making zero. perfect decisions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, making per like you. There is no margin for error. And did he did he do it perfectly? I don't necessarily think so. But it's really it, it was pretty close. Uh, and you've, it felt like that you know the decisions that were being made. I mean, again, nothing not nothing like you know like what's that guy still doing out there like everyone no, like screaming if there's anything that
1: there's anything he would do that's like really bad we we would certainly talk about it on the podcast and oh, I, yeah. I don't i couldn't find anything that i was like disagreeing nope. with in a strong way so that's a good sign looking ahead it's only it's only one game but it worked out quite well and uh shouts to him for making the tactical decisions that made some sense in this game um okay the 12th inning Matic stays in he gives up back-to-back singles both to right, both to right field. And suddenly it's first and third, no out. So another treacherous situation for the bullpen. But from there, somehow Matzik rises from the ashes and gets three straight strikeouts to strain two guys. I, I was, I, I thought, I thought the game was over in that inning. We I all really did. did.
2: And again, it's, I, and Matzik hasn't done this a lot, but that's, it kind of like fed into my, you know, like we're leaving Matzik in this game and no, oh, things are going and oh, never mind.
1: That was a that was a moment that I I honestly say this <laughs> I don't know the stones on that guy goodness gracious it was impressive and if there was a moment in the entire game in which I was a little bit annoyed it was that he stayed in for a third batter there but obviously that was the correct decision um if there Apparently, was yeah. if there was any move that Snip made in the in the entire game that I actually I like, probably disagree with the most it was leaving Matzik in there but Matzik... Proved him to be correct in that situation. So, shouts to him for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what a performance from Matzik. Um, okay, <laughs> offensively, the bottom half, Darno leads off with a single. By the way, that was the first hit the Braves had since the sixth inning. So, they went without a hit from the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, and 11th innings. No hits at all. They finally get a hit. Uh, they pinch run with Charlie Culberson with Pache on the bench, which... They used Pache later, so it didn't end up being that weird. But it was kind of funny. Culberson's fast. He is. Yeah, Culberson, is and that's something I mentioned earlier in talking to people about the roster, was that one of the things that Culberson does bring is that he is the number two pinch runner now behind Pache, and they used him that way. So that that's probably a good thing that he can add. He is notably faster than several guys in the lineup. One of them is Darno, so that actually makes a little bit of sense. Anyway. Well, th-
2: th- it made a certain amount of sense to me, too, that... If you there was a chance that you thought that like Markekis was going to be forced to go against yep, a lefty, exactly, then, then you can then, then you can then you can pinch it with Pache, and you feel I mean like well you don't that, you, that you don't want you
1: don't want to burn Pache completely because the whole thing is if if you have Pache yeah. in to run there, you need to leave him in for Marquecus. and yeah. they're not going to probably want to do that right there in that spot. So using a guy that you're probably not going to use for any other purpose, which is Culberson, does make sense. That's one. One avenue in which having him <laughs> having him on the team. I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm not no, trying to be. I'm not no, trying to be no, negative.
2: No, it's just. No, I'm just thinking about think about putting Charlie's face on a T-shirt just with that line on it. Well, am sorry. We're, if
1: we're being honest, and we are going to bleed into some roster talk, but it probably takes two injuries to get Culberson in the lineup, like I, regularly. I so if we're being honest with ourselves, like his role is not really defined. So if he's just your second pinch runner in this series. And hilariously, people were talking like semi-seriously about him being the 11th pitcher out of the bullpen, which is like, that can't be serious, but people are kind of serious about that. Go ahead and use him there because of what we just said. If you use Pache there as a runner, like, for example, Charlie literally was on the base pass for like five seconds. It was like like the next pitch he was he was gone for the game. If they use Pache there, you might need Pache later on defense. Like Pache actually is your defensive replacement in the outfield. Whereas Culberson doesn't really have that kind of role in a normal circumstance. So the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? It's noteworthy that Culberson's running here instead of Pache, but actually does kind of make sense given that they kept they, yep. kept, they kept Culberson for a reason. That's, I guess that's what it was. Who knows? Yeah. Made, made a ton of sense.
2: I was totally fine with
1: it. Um, from there, uh, Ozzy beats what, what what I just said, they, they sort of force out Culberson at second. Ozzy's on the base pass. Um, Adam Duval swings through a hanging slider. That was maddening. Um, and then Albies advances to, uh, on a wild pitch to second. Again, running in scoring position, but Dansby strikes out. That was the 21st strikeout of the game for the Braves. Uh, and by the way, the Braves ended with 21. So that was uh, still a lot of strikeouts. Just a lot of strikeouts. And, uh, a lot of strikeouts. And again,
2: improbably, you know, didn't spoil as many chances as the Reds did, I will say notably. Uh, which Yeah, again, no, the Reds definitely had the worst
1: performances in, yeah, in the clutch if,
2: situation it feels better to be on the other side of that. Uh, but, you know, definitely one of the, another one of those situations where it's just like, Dan's if you can just hit a single and like this game's over, but you somebody, know, somebody do
1: somebody do something at some point. Um, yep. <laughs> in the 13th, they go to Shane green. He gets a strikeout. Then he allows a single, a wild pitch and a single. So they're in big, tr- they're in big trouble yet again. In the 13th mentor comes in. Um, he walks Moustakis to load the bases with one out then he gets a strikeout against Aquino after an endless at-bat. That, that at-bat took forever, but a nice thing for uh, Minter to escape with, and then he forces a ground out. So another jam, uh, wiggled out of by the bullpen, setting the stage for the walk-off in the bottom half. So Marcakis, who had been really bad to this point, leads off with a single, which is nice by him. I, I predicted on Twitter, uh, I guess erroneously, that he was going to reach base twice in this game, and he only got on base once, so I was wrong. Um But...
2: Ooh. yeah
1: you know <laughs> i I, I, tr- I actually i seriously i was not trolling i felt like it was a good time for market because then he didn't look very good but he actually made a big hit that was a big a bat in this game was his single in the 13th um they pitch around with pache which makes a lot of sense because pache can then stay in yes. um he, he can then stay in the game if they don't win it right there um so he's on the, he's on the base pass um you get a single from austin riley suddenly it's first and second no out for ronald acuna now acuna hits it in a fielder's choice because he's very fast, he beats it out. Uh, it's it's first and third, one out, for Freddie Freeman, the presumptive, or maybe not presumptive, but front runner for MVP, something like that. Um, uh, I would call it. Like, I would call it likely. Likely, likely seems
2: right. Yeah. yeah, likely seems right.
1: So the Reds go to the bullpen to a lefty and Amir Garrett. What do you think about this? This is obviously not a Reds podcast, but if I'm the Reds, I, I walk Freddie to get to Ozuna there. Ozuna looked bad the entire game. Ozuna was really good all year long. I'm not saying obviously we are very pro Ozuna, but in that spot, I think I would rather walk Freeman, load the bases and face Ozuna than even bring in a lefty to face Freeman. But what do you think about that?
2: Uh, I was fine with the move. If you, if you really like Garrett against opposing lefties, ignoring the fact of which lefty it is, um, the, uh, the uh, bloating the bases versus first and third, like you have the same problems with one out True. in a lot of ways. So, if you really like the lefty on lefty matchup versus what righty options are left, like what options are available to you left in your bullpen to face Marcelo Zuna, ignoring the fact that Marcelo Zuna did not look good in this game, I'm not sure if, like, you know, my fourth best right handed reliever is who I want to be volunteering for tribute to go against him with the bases loaded. That's that's true. uh, so and again, if you it, look, Garrett's a very good reliever, and in a lefty, a lefty on lefty situation. I mean, I don't think they had a good option there. No. This is truly, <laughs> if, this is truly a pick, a pick your poison situation. Not the Markakis versus Freddie Freeman type stuff that that was a, more of a meme last year. I mean, having to pick between Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna. I mean, like, is anyone going to be shocked that Marcelo Zuna finishes in the top four of MVP voting this year? They shouldn't should be. be.
1: They shouldn't be. He, yeah. He's. I, I think I'd vote him in the top five. And yeah, I mean, I'm not saying there was a direct. Uh, right decision there. I I, I think it was interesting though. Like, I think I probably would have walked Freeman, but I have no issue with it. And obviously, for the Braves, there's you're in a good spot either way. It's either you have bases loaded for Ozuna with one out, or first and third for Freddie with one out. And uh, it didn't obviously uh, go beyond Freddie because he hits a uh, a frozen rope to center. And uh, we all off the bat, it was very clear. Uh, The Reds put I think was it six guys in the infield. They went very very all in. Um, not that it would have mattered, but it was yeah a lot of fun and. Especially because, I think it was uh, Steven from 75, or, yeah, I think it was one of those guys. I think it was Steven, um, tweeted this out, but Freddie failed in the same situation twice last year in Game 4 against the Cardinals. It was, that
2: that was Steven, Stephen. yep. Uh, I mean, and, you know,
1: and it's to it, be fair. It's just good. He was I mean, doing it with one arm. No, it's, I know, he wasn't healthy, but yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's, good, it's good sort of synergy that Freddie made up for it. Obviously, Freddie had basically his career year, even in the shortened season this year. And, you know, he wasn't, he's had some, not the whole team, as we referenced earlier in the podcast, the whole team has been allergic to run around third one out. Even, even in this awesome offensive season, they've been, they've been bad in that situation. And Freddie is the face of the franchise. And he comes out there and makes the play and they get a win. So, and and for
2: awards narrative type stuff, having a playoff walk-off hit certainly doesn't hurt.
1: Well, in theory, um, in theory, I, I, in theory I, I, that did not—that that does it, not it, matter. They're in the playoffs right now. They're in the playoffs. It, it doesn't should matter. not matter. It doesn't matter. It
2: should not matter.
1: But, but. yeah, good synergy. <laughs> At the very least, good synergy, and uh, they they get the win there. Obviously, lots of fun. We talked about, I think, all of what happened in the game itself. Um, any final thoughts on the game before we talk about the roster? Real quick, and look ahead to game two.
2: Um, no, I think we're, I think we're good there. We, we have some kind of stuff we're going to have to kind of round up from things that happened before the game. Uh, that, that game, I, I am putting a star by that one. It was a very frustrating game, but also a really kind of amazing game in a lot of ways. You know, if the Braves make a run, I'm, this, this is kind of going to be a game we're going to look back on and say, you know, it's frankly unbelievable that, the, that they won this game and, you know, it could be the start of something special. And that's kind of where my general big, big top line thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It does feel like this is uh, hopefully a pivot point in a positive direction and it felt like they at times should not have won this game, but they end up getting the win and that it feels good to be on the other side of that for once if you are a Braves uh, observer. Okay, uh, to the pregame stuff real quickly here. Uh, there was some concern between now and our last podcast about um, Martin, Freed, and Acuna, who all Performed very well today, so no no concerns there. Yeah, Martin Martin was really good. He I was, was good. surprised. Uh, me too. I was surprised he was uh, the number one guy they used today, as well as the fact that he was healthy. And that's all positive stuff. Um, I will say though, the roster announcement on Wednesday morning, one beat writer tweeted that there were quote no real surprises end quote with the roster. And with all respect. That is preposterous. It was definitely a surprising roster. Uh, you, you could say good. You, you could say good surprising in a lot of ways, but it was definitely surprising in my view. They also waited until about 10 a.m., which is the latest possible moment they could, they could wait for a noon start to announce their roster. Uh, I mean, you know. A nice troll job every, there. Every,
2: every, yeah, every advantage you can get. You know, Well,
1: I get it. it's kind of funny. The Reds had their lineup for Game 1 announced before the Braves announced their roster for the series which tells you all you need to know about that. That was pretty funny. Um, just before we get into a, li- a little bit of this stuff, I think the it's worth saying the overall impact of the end of the roster decisions is not very big. I'll say that right now. It's not very big. None of this stuff matters that much in the grand scheme of things, um, especially when you have 28 guys on your roster. That's a lot bigger roster than you normally would have in the playoff in the playoff series. But setting the stage a little bit, uh, Pache, of course, is on the roster, as we referenced earlier. He played today and contributed. Uh, no endurance yes. in that was the I big was surprise. So happy! That was the yeah, big surprise I, for me, I, anyway. Um,
2: and I, I and I shouted about that about our last podcast that I didn't think that Bender deserved a playoffs roster spot. And no, I, I mean was, I will play, say this now:
1: we we all we all agree on this that I'm I'm happy that he I'm not happy is the wrong word. I don't want to I don't want to pick on Ender. I think that's the right decision to not have Ender on the roster. He was very bad this season, but okay. I, I I am stunned that and that's separate. Like me being stunned by it is not saying that I think it's wrong. I think it's right, but. I said this on the last podcast, I'm just, I'm stunned about the way that they did this, and it does feel like Anthopolis just kind of said, you know what, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doing this anymore, and that's okay, I'm I'm in support of that. Um, the, other, the other things that happened real quickly, no Nohachavaria, which isn't a huge shock, considering the way he played at the end of the year, he was not popular, I don't think, by then. Uh, no Luke Jackson, and they also did not carry either uh, Enoa or Wilson. We thought they actually might carry both, and they carried neither, which is a bit of a surprise. And then Camargo and Culberson. And Sandoval, who we thought was going to be there, but Camargo, Culberson, and Sandoval all on the roster. So pretty interesting decisions. They ended up going with 15 position players. That is not a decision I support. Um, it's not, again, not hugely impactful, but I, I don't really understand the rationale to take 15 position players in a situation where... Uh, you're just not going to have to use them all. There's a DH, you're not pinch hitting. Um, It would take some serious injury weirdness stuff to get to 15 position players in a single game in the series. And pitcher-wise, yeah, you're not likely to need more than 13. But the way that I said it to Grant McCauley today, good friend of the program, Grant, on Twitter was, I think you're more likely to need a 14th pitcher than a 15th position player. And that little difference is why I don't think you need 15 position players. But what do you think about that?
2: Uh, I tend to agree. I I mean, I felt pretty... I was on board with kind of our roster breakdown from the previous podcast. Make sure you listen to those. So yeah, you can kind of get some thoughts about, or, or at least uh, download them. Uh, at least download them, please. Yeah, <laughs> just down just download and say, hey, I have it just in case I need to reference what we're talking about later. Uh, I wouldn't have carried Tariq Olberson. No,
1: um,
2: that's that's the one. Uh, I'm at, yeah, it's if, not even if, if, about him. Yeah, like, like if you're not going to carry Echovaria, I can respect that decision. Agree. But I'd be, I, I would have, Hus- I've had, I'd have Oscar, you know, on this roster. That's what I would have. Just, just another long guy, just in case something happens. Um, you know, you can, and like, if you have, you know, out there, you know, one inning stint, you know, just reaching back in the heart, throwing as hard as he can, that you're not necessarily upset about that either. No, I, un- Luke Jackson, he's been pretty bad. And no, that was what we under- support. We support that. one. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely some, like the, a lot of these decisions were good. Uh, I just think that having the extra position player, I'm kind of with you. I think it's just more likely, uh, and it almost came to be relevant today. Uh, just having that extra pitcher, but I, I, Again, kind of going back to your original point is that in a three-game series, especially, you know, when you can kind of feel like you can like you can use the relie- relievers on back-to-back days, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I am okay with the decision, but I think the decision would have been better to if you if you don't want Echeverria and you think Camargo can provide some value, so be it. I just don't see the need for both Car- Culberson and and Camargo, um, especially if you're going to have an, uh, Christian Pache on your roster because the guys that you're well, I say that. It, it's very likely that the the guy that you're going to want to pinch run for in a lot of situations is going to be in the outfield um, or going to be in a spot where you'd want Christian Pache to be your pinch runner, and you can kind of manipulate things that way. Uh, you can the, the, Those types of substitutions late in games, if they were to come up, make more sense than just having Culperson as just another pinch runner because I just don't see very many situations where he'd be in the game unless you're like... Really concerned about a, guy, a, a like a couple guys' health, which I suppose is possible, but it doesn't seem likely to me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, again, ultimately, this is not a huge decision. I would have gone fourteen fourteen over this, and I, to your point, I would have probably taken Culberson off. If you if you told me it's Camargo instead of Culberson, that's okay too. They still, you know, Culberson has some utility that Camargo doesn't necessarily have, especially if you're going to carry Sandoval, but. I don't know. It's fine. I would have gone with 14, but whatever. Um, they also went with uh, Contreras over Jackson as the third catcher. Yes. We, we, we discussed third catcher on the last podcast. I, I presume okay. that's because of offense, because Contreras is a much better hitter.
2: Yeah, well, he's a much better hitter, and, like, I don't think he's, I mean, like, Ajax is, I think, a pretty good, like, framer type. Uh, catcher you know like he does like some things mechanically well behind there you know his glove stays still and he can kind of sell pitches a little bit but Contreras is a pretty good defensive catcher too so if you just feel good about that and whereas alex jackson at the plate is not great in the in the major leagues is pretty close to a zero if you want to talk about swing and miss issues you know if, if he had played in this game for example he would have struck out five times like it just would have happened i mean and you know he had some better hitters that were you know not that far off from that mark today he's just I want him to be good so bad because in terms of raw power, like there's not that many guys in the entire organization that has as much as he does. But he, it's very hard for him to get to it, and he he gets victimized, and that's what we saw. Whereas in that very limited stint that Contreras was, and he was up, he looked good, and he must, seems to like he must be impressing down there at Gwinnett. And at the end of the day, you go with your best twenty-eight. And while I don't think I'm like super thrilled with you know going with the extra position player over the extra pitcher, I can respect. It seems like that they really put a lot of effort and thought into going, these are our best 28. These are the best guys we've got. Yeah.
1: And I think one decision aside. Yeah. I think the only question I would have, and we talked about this in the last podcast, but do you need three catchers? If you are already going to come, you know, he snicker publicly, publicly committed to going to Ozuna as the DH in all three games. If you're going to do that and that's your plan, you don't need three catchers. But I mean, the impact again is not, not huge. I just think that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because you don't need to pinch it in the same way and all that. But alas, uh, last thing I want to get to on the roster is something that it's process related. That's very on brand for us. But I, I think I just don't understand the process of it all. Like why was Pachin on the roster this whole time? If he was not, if he was yes. going to play, like why did Ender get 14 plate appearances last week? Like I, I understand the Hedge thing because he, because of the implosion he had in the last week, but this is also a stat that I on earth from somebody I'm stealing it from someone I can't remember who it was so my apologies. But 5 of the 6 bench guys that the Braves are carrying in the series, Pache, Culberson, Camargo, Sandoval and Contreras combined for four plate appearances in the last like 23 days of the season. That's insane. Like you're 83% of your of your playoff bench basically just didn't play in the majors for the last 3 plus weeks of the regular season. And I get their circumstances beyond your control on some of those things, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. The process is just kind of flawed, even if the results are actually fine on the roster selection. Like Pache, we both agree, was a good decision being on the roster. But leading up to it, there's just a lot of, like, nonsensical stuff that seemingly happened. I don't know if there's, like, a front office versus manager thing there or something, but it's just kind of strange to me. Like, the results were fine. I think this roster, like we both said, makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. But the process—if you go back and think about it—and like it'll make it'll make your brain hurt to see how they got there. So, in some of these
2: places, like Etraveria played himself
1: off the roster. He right? did.
2: Yes. I, I. I. Uh. Luke Jackson played himself off the roster. He did. These, these. These. These are things that these are things that happen. So you feel like you make some changes. And in Sandoval's case, I think they felt like Riley was hurt and that they kind of need that extra third base. Like I. I. I get that part. Right. Uh, and, and in Sandoval's case, like he was a relatively new addition, you kind of want to make sure he, like he passes all his health protocols and he wants you know get some get some time in Gwinnett in the organization before you throw him in there. That's what I understand. The Ender ncrt over Christian Pache thing is something that I fundamentally don't understand. It's like he was a white flag every time he was in the lineup. It just never felt like he deserved to be in there over Pache. And you know, was Pache going to be getting a ton of starts? No, he wasn't. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, but even under, like, the most favorable situations where they would put Ender Enciarte in there against the, against the righty where he was supposed to be a relatively decent player, he wasn't good defensively, and he was truly terrible at the plate. And there's just a lot of situations where, you know, in like with Nick Marcakis, maybe you want get, to get him out of a lefty-on-lefty relief matchup, in which case you would much prefer to have Pache on your roster versus NCRT. Just in terms of winning games in the regular season, and that doesn't take into account getting some guys some plate appearances against major league pitching before the postseason. If you're going to put them on the roster, right? And I mean, look, you get, you're getting Pache a lot more plate appearances down in Gwinnett, kinda, but they're playing like you know inter squad scrimmage. Well, that, that was the, question, the same thing.
1: That was the question that people were saying. Like, I brought this up and got some responses, and this is a smart thing to point out for sure. But like, guys, like even 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 the older guys like Culberson and Camargo. You know, they're yes, they're facing pitching at the alternate site, but is that the same thing as not playing in the major? Like Culberson hasn't played in the major leagues, and like he barely played all season. Like Culberson had single digit plate appearances this season, like for the year, and wasn't even on the team the last three plus weeks of the season. Like I know he's a veteran, and he's not really there for his bat anyway, but it's just interesting to me that they chose to go this route. And clearly, with you know Culberson, Camargo, Sandoval, those guys are veterans. I, I I get that, but the Pache thing is just we've we've done it to death, but it it does it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever that they approached this entire season the way they did about Pache from beginning to end, from the one the one start he made to suddenly being gone again to being in the alternate site to now being on the playoff roster with nothing really changing, or oh, the ender was just bad all the way through. Like it's just kind of it's baffling.
2: How did they treat Christian Pache like he wasn't anywhere close to ready? And that the only reason they brought him up—that's like, what they said. They said the only yeah. reason they brought him up because he was the only other option available. And they, they like <laughs> they treat him like they treat him like 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 he was like Pete Cosma that they were like just hiding down there, and he just happened to be the only guy that could was capable of holding yeah, a baseball bat you, without hurting himself.
1: If you told if you told a Braves fan or a non-Braves fan, let's just say a, ba- a big baseball person that understands how all the things work, but they don't know anything, anything about Christian Pache, and you just said, "All right, this is the transaction log." This is the way they, this is the, these are the comments they've made about him. Everything except for his prospect pedigree. And you just showed them that. You would assume Pache was like a quad, was like a, a quad, quadruple A player. Like, they treated him like he's Navy. not an elite <laughs> prospect. You know what I mean? Like, they treated him like a run-of-the-mill young guy that, like, could be in the plans maybe in the future. Like, one of those very fringy guys. Except for the fact that he's been the number one prospect in the system for the entire season. And is, like, a consensus, what, top 20 guy in Major League Baseball, prospect-wise? Yeah, that's, like, about, that's about right. H- yeah. How do you treat that guy that way? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And again, we're not, I'm not trying to hijack the whole podcast. This is a positive podcast overall. The Braves won a big game today. It's just this is the only time we have to talk about this for a second and it's i don't know they, they just did not handle him in a way that you that teams handle top prospects that's the best that's that's, that's the baseline way to say it i i completely agree
2: i, I get, i've been shouting about this for weeks oh, I, know you. I just don't think I just I just, I just I just didn't agree i just didn't agree with how that was handled and i didn't agree kind of you know what Ender's role on the team should be um i am fairly convinced now that i don't Think we're gonna see Ender Inciarte play in a Braves game
1: again? He's still under contract. I don't
2: think so. Still under contract. I no, I understand. I think he gets moved in the offseason. That's kind of where my head is going. I, I just think that if you're making this move, I think that means that Christian Pache is gonna be your starting center fielder next year, and you make the resulting moves. And I don't think McNick Marquez uh, should be coming back. I mean, I guess you could bring him back as a bench player at this point, but I mean, that's 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 off season roster stuff. I'm not worried about that. But the process, I'm with I'm with you on. But overall, in terms of the roster decisions couple things I would do differently but a lot of them were were very very good. And I think that they got really close to their best 28 yeah. even though I probably would have switched things around a little bit.
1: Yeah, all, all told again like like we said like we, like we both said the process was maybe flawed, but the ultimate result of the playoff roster is not one that we really have any issue with. The only thing that we both would do is just change one position player for one pitcher, but that's like not a huge thing. It's just worth pointing nope. out. Um okay, let's look ahead now to game 2 real quick. Obviously nothing's changed overall. The Braves did have to use a lot of their bullpen today. But like you like you like you said before, like like Snit said by the way, as we were talking, Snicker said that everyone's available tomorrow, um, as far as he knows. So no one's gonna be held out tomorrow. that pitch today, as at this moment anyway. Um it's Ian Anderson, we all assume, uh, against Castillo for the Reds. It's another noon start, which is just miserable for people like you and I that have jobs. Um but yep. any any thoughts on game two? Obviously If you're a Brave supporter, this goes without saying, but it would be uh, very nice to close this thing out in two because of the uncertainty with Game 3, and you know going into Game 3 you have a pitching disadvantage. I know Kyle Wright has been good lately, but he's still not as good as Sonny Gray right now, probably. So, yeah, win Game 2. Please.
2: I I think Ian Anderson, as... By and large, look very good this season. I don't think that's going to change against what really does look like a pretty bad Reds lineup. Like, nothing that happened today made me, like, scared of the Reds lineup. Every once no. in a while when Eugenio Suarez was at the plate, I'm like, is this when he finally figures it out? Because he's a guy that, you know, can go wild. But I mean, nothing about what happened today makes me afraid of the Reds offensively. The The Braves' offense needs to figure out how to perform in the – look, Freddie Freeman's walk-off hit – Big deal. It was a big deal, big hit. Hopefully that kind of gets the rest of that offense going because, I mean, this is three straight postseasons now to start with that we haven't been exactly impressed with, it, with the Braves' offensive performance. The Braves need to put together some runs tomorrow. Oh, they, and, I like, mean, they've, that, they've been driven. I, I, <laughs> I, they they I don't think they'd put up 15 tomorrow to win. You know what I mean? But it'd be nice if you know they could you know take a little bit of pressure off a rookie making – his, his a rookie making his postseason debut in kind of an elimination type game. Just make it just make it easier on him. Make it easier on the bullpen. Just kind of, you know, just put up some runs against what is a pretty bad offensive team. I think if they can get, I think if they can get four to five runs, honestly, I think that they can win the game. They win the game tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tweeted it out. We mentioned it. The, the offense is now, you know, it's they won the game today. That's good. But last year the offense was bad in the playoffs. Two years ago the offense was absolutely like legendarily dreadful in the playoffs against the Dodgers. So it'd be nice if they scored some runs. Uh, You cannot bank on one nothing tomorrow. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I know that, you know, Anderson's capable of throwing a gem. That's definitely the case. The bullpen's still good, but you you gotta, you gotta hope to score some real runs tomorrow against Cincinnati. It's not smooth sailing. They still have good pitching. Uh, The Reds do have good, good, again, the reason why we were afraid of the Reds a little bit is that they do have good pitching, but yeah, I mean, you're probably going to need to get more than one run to win (laughs) tomorrow. It goes without saying, um, just for the record at this moment in time, the Braves are minus minus ish favorites in game two, according to the betting markets that I've seen. So they are about what they were in the whole series. You know, 55 to 60% favorites tomorrow. Uh, we'll see how that that feels right to me. Uh, they're not big, big favorites in the series though. I do want to say that. Wow. Just to make sure we jinx everything properly. Um, (laughs) People are going to be mad at me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here it comes. But the Braves, according to the systems that I have seen, are now like high 70s to 80% to win the series, which makes sense because you only have to win one, they have to win two. That's how math works. But uh, yeah, just want to point that out. Big favorites. Knock on wood. <laughs>
2: Don't... <laughs> I I just want the 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 20 years without winning a playoff. I I don't care if people say quote unquote it doesn't count. It's counting because I'm never mentioning it again. It's like, gonna it's count. Never it's,
1: gonna happen. it's gonna count. Uh, we'll talk about more stuff later. If they if they win the series, we can re we can relitigate and re uh, sort of set set the, set the stage a little bit once they win. But just go ahead and win the series. Come out come out um Thursday, and win the series. All right, Eric. That's probably enough on today's spot. As a programming note, real quickly. Uh, we will not have the podcast up as early on Thursday. I, uh, today was a bit of a weird one in that, um, I have to work later tonight to work the NBA Finals, and I had this little mini window that we're recording in right now. Tomorrow, I don't have that window, so we're going to be recording later into the evening on Thursday. You will still have the podcast up for your Friday morning commute, but uh, just as just FYI for everybody that's listening, to this maybe on Wednesday night, it won't be quite as quick on Thursday, despite the noon start, because the noon starts are terrible for all of us. I know Scott; it's even worse for Scott, who's yeah, it's, it's terrible, nine yeah. at nine a.m. for Scott, um, which is why he's not here today, but yeah i'm not sure who will be here with me um one of scott or eric or maybe both will be here but uh, we will do a podcast after the game after game too so be patient with us please subscribe please 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 subscribe that's the best way to get the podcast in your feed so that's coming eric anything else to uh plug or share before we get out here uh no honestly just there's a lot of
2: really great content coming on talking chop if you like up to the minute yep. as things are happening in this playoff series content is going up on the site we're kind of all in on playoff coverage right now we did a bunch of preview content if you're wanting to kind of get caught up on kind of what our thoughts were going into the series from the from monday and tuesday make sure you go look at all that work there's a lot of really good content that came out monday and tuesday um and just keep an eye on the site because as things are happening i i <laughs> you know, one way or another in about 15 minutes, something's going to be put on the side about it. So just make sure you keep an eye out.
1: We are cooking Shout out to the furious leader, Chris Willis for organizing all the forces you as well, Eric, w, Deputy Editor Eric Cole, here on the podcast with me. I, that, uh, well, I'm
2: I am happy to be here, but I mean, <laughs> in terms of keep, keeping this keeping this machine moving, it's 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 Chris Willis, and if we want to talk about a guy who's just a flat out machine, Chris is a machine, manager. he's he's and you know best boss we can ask for too. He's like there's not there's not a better site manager. Period. Like, and Chris, Chris is. I say, uh, I say this as one.
1: Yeah, and I, I learned, I also, I, I say this also as one. I I learned all the uh, way to run aside from Chris. So there you go. All right, Eric, thanks for joining me. As always, please subscribe to the podcast, everybody, and we'll be back sometime on Thursday, hopefully, to celebrate a wild card series victory.